You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, if you uh, came in today, you should have received a handout for the message notes, and uh, you're going to want to write some things down. We're going to cover some good material today, and uh, I'm very, very excited about it. And so uh, let's just jump right on into this, and can you say this, Jesus' glorious resurrection. He had a glorious resurrection. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to go into some details today. Uh, Now, let me preface what I'm getting ready to say today. I'm no medical doctor, but I can read. Praise the Lord. And so a lot of the things that I'm going to be conveying to you, I have read and studied and picked up from other people that are uh, much, much more skilled and and, uh, intelligent about those things than I am. But Uh, it's going to be a blessing to us nonetheless. So here's the first thing I want you to write down, and that is this. To understand the power and glory of Jesus' resurrection, you must understand how utterly terrible his death was. So to understand, to fully grasp the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, you, you have to have a good understanding of how terrible his death was. It, it was horrible, the things that he went through. So we're going to look at some of that in detail. So uh, in the, the crucifixion that we all attribute to the Romans is actually something that the Persians invented in 300 BC. And the Romans, as they conquered the, their kingdom and, and expanded their empire, picked up on this thing from the Persians and they then perfected it and started incorporating it into punishment in 100 BC. Now, crucifixion was the most painful death ever invented by man and is where we get our term excruciating. It's, it, it, inside that word is the word crucifixion. It's buried in there, but it's where we get the word excruciating and it was reserved primarily for the most vicious and the vilest of criminals. So the crucifixion of Jesus was meant to ensure a a horrific, slow, and painful death. Now, we'll talk more about this in just a second, but you know what most people don't understand is that when a criminal was crucified on a cross by the Romans, very often they would live and stay alive on that cross for several days until they finally died. Now, thank God Jesus didn't have to endure that for several days. He endured it for six hours But nonetheless, that's what it was designed to do. So as Jesus was being taken to the cross, he was stripped naked and his clothing divided by the guards. And so this fulfills this scripture in Psalm 22 and verse 18. It said, David wrote and he said, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, one thing that's very interesting to me about the 22nd Psalm is David had no idea what was coming. He had no idea what the Messiah was going to have to endure, but yet through the Spirit of God, he began to catch a glimpse 
of things that were going to take place on that cross and it's found in the 22nd Psalm. And so again, it says, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So prior to going to the cross, Jesus endured a horrific beating by the Roman soldiers using a cat of nine tails that would have literally ripped open his flesh and made bone visible in his back. And this uh, uh, goes right into Psalm 22 and verse 17 that says this, David wrote and he said, I can count all my bones, they look and stare at me. So Jesus is, has endured this horrible beating before he ever went to the cross, thank God, because the scripture says in, in 1 Peter 2.24 that who in his own self bore our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Now, as Jesus was enduring all of this, what the very often that the, uh, just out of mercy, uh, either the soldiers or the people standing around those that would be crucified, would offer to them a wine that was soured and had become very, very strong, and it was meant to serve as a type of anesthetic. But Jesus refused this anesthetic wine, which was offered to him, because of his promise in Matthew 26 and verse 29. You might be familiar with what Jesus said uh, at the Last Supper. He told the disciples, he said this, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he fulfilled that prophecy by refusing this anesthetic wine. And so having been nailed to the cross, Jesus now had an impossible Thing that he was having to endure in that he was placed in, a, in an anatomical position. His knees were flexed at 45 degrees and he was forced to bear his weight with the muscles of his thighs, which is not anything uh, that any of us would, would want to endure because what happens after a few minutes is those muscles begin to cramp in the thigh and the calf because of the weight that they're having to endure. So as that went on, Jesus' weight was ended up being uh, endured and carried by his feet with the nails driven through them. As the strength of the muscles of Jesus' lower limbs grew tired, the weight of his body had to be transferred to his wrists and his arms and his shoulders. So you can imagine what that was like. Within a few minutes of being placed on the cross, Jesus' shoulders would be dislocated. Minutes later, his elbows and wrists would become dislocated. The result of these upper limbs being dislocated, it caused his arms to become nine inches longer than they would have been normal. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of or are familiar with the Shroud of Turin, which is traditionally uh, regarded to be a burial cloth of the Lord. It's, it's um, enshrined in a church in Turin, Italy. And if you look at the imprint that's on that shroud, the man's uh, arms that were buried in that shroud are nine inches longer than they should have been. So we know at least that that person that was buried in that shroud uh, was crucified as Jesus was crucified. Now, look at Psalm 22 and verse 4. It says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. 
So after Jesus risked, his elbows and his shoulders were dislocated. The weight of his body on his upper limbs caused traction forces on the pectoral muscle, muscles of his chest wall. And in order to breathe out, Jesus had to push down on the nails in his feet to raise his body to allow his rib cage to move upwards and inwards to take in air and to expire air from his lungs. The person that was being crucified this way was physiologically forced to move up and down on the cross a distance of at least 12 inches in order to breathe. Well, keep in mind, Jesus' back has been terribly torn by the stripes that he took. So every time that he had to breathe, he would push down, raise himself up for 12 inches up and down the wooden cross, and that cross would rub against those wounds that were already on his back. The process of respiration caused excruciating pain mixed with the absolute terror of, 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 of choking to death is what I'm trying to say. Asphyxiation, that's the fancy word. So, you know, if you've ever uh, experienced uh, something where uh, maybe you uh, were being choked some way, you know, perhaps by a piece of food or something like that, the panic that ensues. Well, that's a natural human physical reaction. And because of the way Jesus was having to breathe, uh, the, the, those few hours that he was on the cross, that's what he was enduring. His up, uh, movements up and down the cross to breathe caused excruciating pain in his wrists, his feet, and his back, and his dislocated elbows and shoulders. As the six hours of the crucifixion wore on, Jesus was less and less able to bear his weight on his legs as his thigh and calf muscles became increasingly exhausted. There was increasing dislocation of his wrist, elbows, and shoulders, further elevation of his chest wall, making his breathing more and more difficult. Within minutes of crucifixion, Jesus became severely short of breath. As he endured that pain, the two median nerves in his wrist exploded, causing excruciating pain within his arms and his wrist. As you've probably seen in pictures and paintings of Jesus on the cross, which by the way, don't hold a candle to what he actually endured, but we know that he was covered in blood and sweat. The blood came from the scourging that nearly killed him on his back. And by the way, when the Roman soldiers would scourge someone as they did the Lord, what they would do is they would beat them to within just the threshold of death, then they would stop and give them time to briefly recover, only to return and keep up the torture. And so as the blood and the sweat were falling off of him, he became more and more wet with perspiration as he struggled to expire this air through his lungs. And throughout all of this, keep in mind, he was completely naked in front of the Jewish leaders, in front of perfect strangers, the crowds that yelled crucified him. He was naked in front of the thieves on both sides of him. And what was worse is his own mother was standing there and witnessing all of this going on. So not only can you imagine the horrible physical things he was enduring, think of the, the, hum, the just being absolutely uh, humiliated in front of all of these people. That's what the Lord was enduring. 
Physiologically, Jesus' body was undergoing a series of catastrophic and terminal events. His blood oxygen level began to fall and he developed hypoxia, which is low blood oxygen. In addition, because of his restricted respiratory movements, his blood carbon dioxide level began to rise, a condition known as hypercritical. The respiratory center in Jesus' brain sent urgent message to his lungs to breathe faster, and Jesus began to pant like a dog. He involuntarily moved up and down the cross much faster, despite the excruciating pain. The agonizing movements spontaneously started several times a minute to the delight of the crowd who jeered him, the Roman soldiers and the Sanhedrin who were watching. However, due to his increasing exhaustion, he was unable to provide more oxygen to his oxygen-starved body. The twin forces of too little oxygen and too much carbon dioxide caused his heart to beat faster and faster. And Jesus developed a condition called tachycardia, where his heart beat faster and faster to where his pulse rate was possibly around 220 beats a minute. Now, you and I, when we exercise, our heart rate might reach 140 to 160. 220 beats a minute is something that the human heart cannot endure for a sustained period of time. Now, you also need to remember that this is some 15 hours after Jesus had eaten his last meal with his disciples, and so he had had nothing to eat or drink for 15 hours since 6 p.m. the previous evening. He had endured a scourging which nearly killed him. He was bleeding from all over his body following that beating, the crown of thorns, the nails in his wrist and feet, and the lacerations following his beatings, and the falls that he endured while trying to carry the cross down the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha caused him to nearly bleed to death. Because of being severely dehydrated and his blood levels falling to the degree that it, they were, his blood pressure was probably at 80 over 50 by this point. I've had a little bit of experience with my blood pressure dropping to that point when I have a, a physical condition going on, and, and I cannot imagine, and it was just briefly, just for a moment, and then it would come back up. I can't imagine enduring that for hours on end. He was in, by this time, first-degree shock with low blood volume, excessively fast heart rate, excessively fast respiratory rate to where his breathing was... Much like that, excessive sweating, and by about noon, Jesus' heart was in full failure and respiratory failure was happening as well. Jesus' lungs began to fill up with fluid. This only served to exasperate his breathing, which was already severely compromised. At this stage where he was, at the plasma and the blood gathered in the space around his heart called the pericardium. And this fluid around his heart prevented Jesus' heart from beating properly. That's why we read in Luke chapter, or John chapter 19 and verse 34, that after his death, when the soldiers came and pierced his side, that it says that immediately blood and water flowed out. It literally wasn't water as we know it. The fluid was actually the platelets and the white blood count that was coming out and this fluid that was, came out of his chest cavity that's what the soldiers witnessed. Because of the increasing physiological demands on Jesus' heart, Jesus probably eventually 
sustained cardiac rupture. His heart literally burst, and this was probably because of the way that he was dying. And what I want you to see is, is that he literally died of a broken heart. To slow the process of death, the Roman soldiers would put a small wooden seat on the cross, which when you were hanging on the cross would have hit right about the base of your spine near your tailbone to give the people the privilege of bearing their weight on their tailbone. The effect of this was that it would take up to nine days to die on the cross. When the Romans wanted to expedite death, they would simply break the legs of the victim causing the victim to suffocate in a matter of minutes because they could no longer raise themselves up in order to breathe. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus uttered these words, and he said, it is finished. And at that moment, he gave up his spirit, and he died. When the soldiers came to break his legs, he was already dead. If you've ever read in the scripture, it says that they broke the legs of both of the criminals that were crucified on either side of the Lord. But when they got to Jesus, they found out that he was already died and his legs did not have to be broken, which is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy. In Psalm 34 and verse 20, it says this, he guards all of his bones and none of them is broken. You know, in the Old Testament, when the instructions were being given to the children of Israel, about the Passover lamb, when the lamb was to be sacrificed and the blood poured out for the Passover celebration to take place, the people were specifically instructed, do not break any of the bones of the lamb as it was sacrificed. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, it says this, in one house it shall be eaten and you shall not carry any of the flesh of the lamb outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones, directly prophesying what the Lord was going to experience. So Jesus died after six hours of the most excruciating and terrifying torture and way to die that was ever created by a human being. From nine in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon approximately, Jesus endured all of this. Now keep in mind, he had done nothing wrong. He was accused of being a criminal. He was accused of, of doing things that he did not do. But the fact of the matter is, he had to go through all of this. So why did Jesus have to experience this? If you have your notes there, write this down. And that was this. The plan of God was for Jesus to pay the price that all of mankind was supposed to pay. You know, the scripture says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And so you and I, you might think you're a good person, and you probably are a good person, but being a good person does nothing to pay the price for your redemption and your salvation. Jesus had to pay that price. And it was not enough that Jesus died that horrible death for us because what you need to understand is, is this wasn't just about a physical death. It was about spiritual death and spiritual life. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he just didn't endure those things physically in his body. No, what he endured was 
carrying and taking upon himself the full brunt of sin that man had brought into the earth going all the way back to Adam. And the worst thing that he could have possibly experienced, you know, we think those things that he endured on the cross were horrible, and indeed they were. But the worst thing that Jesus had to experience was for the first time in his eternal existence, because of my sin and your sin, he experienced separation from God. That's really what spiritual death is, is to experience separation from the heavenly Father. And that's why in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, we see in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to translate, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his eternal existence, his heavenly father had to turn his back on him, not because of anything that he had done, but because of everything that I had done and you had done or we will do. So, write this down, please. Jesus paid the full price for all mankind. You know, there's a lot of times that we, in religion, we think that we have to do something to pay for the sins that we committed. You know, I've heard it said, you know, when people are experiencing a tough time after becoming a Christian, I've heard it said where people told them, well, you know, you're just having to go through all of that because of the things that you did before you came to Christ. Well, if we have to pay the price for our sin after we're born again and after we come to Jesus and make him the Lord of our life, then what was the point of Jesus having to endure all of that? No, the fact of the matter is, yes, we all go through things, but none of it has to do with sin you committed before Christ if you have repented and made Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus paid the price for all of us. Can I get an amen? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. I want you to wrap your brain around that for just a second. For every man, woman, boy and girl that has ever walked the face of the planet, Jesus paid the price for every single one of them. And thank God he only had to do it once. He did it once and for all. Look at Hebrews 7, 27. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They, those other priests, did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. You know, I really wanted to get down on the inside of us that Jesus paid it all. You know, there's an old song that says that, that Jesus paid the full price. He paid it all for us. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price on that cross. Now here's the good news. After he endured all of that, he was laid in a tomb. And the scripture says that on the third day, he was raised up. Now here, you know, I have said this before, but 
you know, I can't wait to get to heaven. And one of those questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I get to heaven is, what is the significance of three days or on the third day? We know he was crucified on Friday and then he was raised from the dead on Sunday. But what is the significance of that? What is there, the legal thing that had to be paid during that period of time? And finally, when the time was satisfied or the price was satisfied, Jesus could be raised up. The Father could step in and speak life to him and cause him to come back to life. So when the time came, write this down, there was nothing that could hold him. You know, the scripture tells us that when Jesus died, that he took upon himself our sin, and then he, he died spiritually, not because he sinned, but because of our sin. And then the scripture says that he descended and went into the, the depths of hell to be tormented by the devil and his crowd, and that he endured that, but on the third day, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God spoke. And when God spoke, those words permeated into the darkest regions of hell and caused supernatural life to come back into that spirit that was dead, that belonged to our Lord. And so when that time came, I don't care how strong they thought they were, how powerful they thought they were, the powers of darkness, death, hell, and the grave could not hold him or keep him there. It could not keep him from getting up. I like what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And here's the promise. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Hallelujah. The power and the life of God cannot be overcome by anything, not even death, not even hell, or the grave. Now here's where it ties into you and to me. See, we're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And we need life in our spirit. See, when we're born into the world, the scripture says that sin passed upon all mankind. And when we're born into the world, we're born spiritually dead. And therefore, we need this new life through the Lord Jesus Christ in order for us to not only have a relationship with the Father, but for us to be born again so that we can spend an eternity with Him. That's why just being religious is not the answer. There's something that has to happen on the inside of us. There's a miracle that needs to take place on the inside of us. And see, the problem with religion is it, it doesn't address the root of the problem. The root of the problem goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it has to do with this thing called spiritual death. Just as in the first time in his eternal existence, Jesus experienced spiritual death. Now, here's why he did it. So for the first time in our existence, you and I can experience spiritual life. What an awesome miracle that he provided for us. So for the first time through him, 
we can experience this thing called the new birth. We can be born again and we can receive new life in him. Now, here's the most important thing I want you to get out of this message today, and that is this. Write this down, please. Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He died and was resurrected to make dead people alive. I want us to get that down on the inside of us. You know, Jesus didn't just gloss over what was wrong with us. He just didn't clean us up. That comes later. But what he did is he came and paid the price so that we who were dead could now become alive. See, when you receive Christ, you're not just being forgiven of your sins. That's awesome. And I thank God for that. You're receiving new life, the life of God. And just as Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, death had to loosen its grip on him, Peter said. Guess what? When you made the decision or you make the decision to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, death has to release its grip on you as well. Here's the good news. You know, when you make the decision to receive Christ and to make him the Lord of your life, did you know there is nothing hell can do to stop that decision from coming to pass? They can try and deceive you and keep you from making that decision. But once you make that decision, the devil can't stop the new birth from taking place. I'm so grateful for that. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 through 11. I'm almost done. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified, crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. See, that's what I mean when the scripture says that we died with Christ. When Jesus paid the price for all of humanity in the legal scales of, of, of the universe and in God's mind, you did it as well. You were crucified with him. And since, verse 8, we died with Christ, we know that we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Now here's the good news. When you receive Christ, death no longer has power over you. Now, somebody said, well, pastor, do you mean that when I reach the end of my life and I, I become old or whatever, that I won't die? No, see, what you need to understand is, yes, you may lay your body down for a moment. We may have a funeral for your body, but your spirit is alive and death can never touch it again. Hallelujah. Verse 10 when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You know, some people think that we receive eternity when we step over, when we do die and we go to heaven. No, you receive eternal life now. And death no longer has a part 
in your life. Now, here's the good news, news that I want you to get. When you make the decision to receive Christ, there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. There is nothing that can hold you back either. Hallelujah. Now, last thing I want you to see is this. We celebrate the resurrection. We, we celebrate Easter not about candy and chocolate bunnies and all that. That's all fun. But the real reason that we celebrate Easter is because Jesus is alive. We celebrate the resurrection not just because Jesus was raised from the dead, but here's the big thing. We celebrate because we were raised up with him. And if you receive Christ or have received Christ, you are alive. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that, that as a born-again believer, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of us. You are filled with the life of God when you receive Christ and you are born again. So the good news is, yes, Jesus endured all of those horrible things. And I'm so grateful and so thankful that he did. But I tell you, the biggest thing that I'm thankful for today is the fact that, yes, he endured those things. Yes, he died that death. But thank God on the third day, he who was dead is now alive. He was raised up, filled with the life and the breath of God. And the good news is he will never, ever die again. He is alive forevermore. Amen? And the good news is when we receive Christ, we too will live forevermore in him. Hallelujah. Will you do me a favor? Just bow your heads. Father, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and the price that he paid. Jesus, thank you for dying that horrible death for me. Thank you for bearing in yourself the punishment that should have been mine. Lord, I thank you that you endured all of those horrible things. You died that horrible death. Thank God you took my sin. And because of that, you went to hell for me so that I wouldn't have to. That I could be set free from the powers of death and darkness. That I could receive new life in you through the power of your resurrection. Jesus, everything we are as, as born-again believers today rests solely on the fact that you are alive. Lord, I thank you that we don't pay homage to a religious leader that's buried in a tomb somewhere. We don't honor someone who is still there. No, we surrender our lives to someone who's no longer in a tomb, that on that third day he was raised up. And as the scripture says, he who once was dead is now alive forevermore. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you for doing that for each and every one of us. Now with every head bowed, nobody looking around, I, I never like to make any assumptions. I want to invite you to do something today. There's a couple of things that I want to ask you to do. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in your heart that he paid that price for you, 
and he died on the cross and on the third day he was raised up. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10 that when we believe that with our heart and then we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we surrender our lives to him, that's what causes us to be saved. You know, I'm thankful that we come to church, but coming to church is not what saves you. Being a good person is something we ought to do, but it's not what saves us. No, it's simply opening our hearts and saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And Jesus, take my life. I put it in your hands and I make you the Lord of my life. The Bible says from that moment forward, we are saved. And thank God there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love of God. Oh, I know what your mind might go to it to say, well, you know, I'll do that. I'll give my heart to Christ when I have it all together. You know, when I stop doing this or stop doing that. No, Jesus wants us to come to him exactly like we are. You see, you are not capable of cleaning your own self up. You can maybe generate enough willpower to stop doing something for a period of time. But the fact of the matter is, it takes the power of the resurrection in order to bring change on the inside of us for us to become the people that God wants us to be. All because Jesus is alive. So I want to invite you, if you are here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to just pray a simple prayer with me. Now here's the other invitation that I want to give you. Maybe you've done that before, but your heart's grown cold towards the things of God and you know deep down in your heart you need to come home. You want to come back to Him. Here's the good news. He's waiting on you. He's not expecting you to get it all together and then you can come back to Him. No, come back to Him exactly like you are with all of your issues, all of your baggage, everything that we carry. Come to Him. And the Bible says that He is ready to receive you with open arms, to clean you up, to give you a brand new start, and help you get on the road to victory. So would you pray a simple prayer with me? Just say this prayer. Everybody say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I believe with all my heart that you died for me. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Wash me in your cleansing blood. Make me clean and holy. Give me a brand new beginning. Give me a brand new start. I want to begin again. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. Now, Lord, thank you for filling me with your precious Holy Spirit, pouring your power on the inside of me. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. Thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free 
to visit us at springhill.cc.